Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Arb Life Podcast. Today, I'm once again joined by Dr. Amanda Carpenter of Core Ergonomic Solutions. My conversation with Dr. Carpenter ranges from properly supporting our bodies as arborists and industrial athletes with fuel and movement to how our positive emotions affect everyone around us. A theme seems to transpire of how arbor culture can be a unique trade where fitness and wellness can easily thrive. This is the Arb Life for arborists to be inspired. To improve aerobic capacity is different for everybody. So, um, with my background in physical therapy, you know, that's something I've always looked at as somebody an endomorph, an ectomorph, or a mesomorph. But with my background now in the biochemistry of functional genomics and breaking down and looking at people's um, genetics and SNPs and, and what is good for one is not good for others, I'm coming at things from a very different perspective. You know, what the research shows is always divided. And the reason it's divided is because genetically we're all different. Right. So the one thing regarding exercise that is, and there's more and more we can find out there about it. Um, the research is starting to support this. But the one thing that we need to, to keep in mind is that not everybody has the ability to improve their VO2 max through cardiovascular endurance training. Oh, wow. So for some people, cardiovascular training actually, all exercise is a form of oxidative stress, period. Right. In order to get, to get something stronger, you have to break it down. And the breakdown is the oxidative stress, so everything. So the way that people recover from that oxidative stress is different. So for everybody, though, hands down, body type or not, it is a form of oxidative stress. So some people can recover very, very quickly, and it's not as damaging for them. And then some people take longer. So genetically, some people do not have the ability to improve their VO2 max through cardiovascular endurance training. So what does that mean on the practical level? They shouldn't be doing repetitive cardiovascular activity because... It's just, it's just using it up. Now, some body types can, and those body types that can are the natural ultramarathon runners. So what we would have thought of before as like the ectomorphs, but it's even, it's even more specific than that. Right. So that's the one thing that we do want to keep in mind is that not everybody should be doing repetitive endurance training. Right. Now, what we all do need, though is we all need physical activity and the definition the difference between physical activity and exercise is that oxidative stress inflammatory breakdown physical activity is movement that helps the system it doesn't break the system down and exercise is target heart rate above 60 percent of max um and then strength training that actually creates a breakdown in the muscle so that's the difference. That's where everybody is like, you know, well, we need to be mo- We absolutely need to be moving. Right. We absolutely need physical activity. But the difference is, is that, um, you know, are we doing exercise? Are we doing physical activity? Right. So I, I wrote an article for um, ISA just this past summer. I, uh, I think it was out in August. Okay. And it was a really brief article, but it was really the difference between the ergonomic risk factors today and primal movements of our ancestors. So what we do know is the human body is designed to do a lot of different dynamic movements, but it's not designed to do anything repetitively. So if we think of 
you know, what our ancestors would have done for movement, they would not have been running on a treadmill like a gerbil under artificial lights and recycled air. Like, that's, the human body is not designed to do that at all. Right. And because sitting is as bad as smoking, that's where exercise really came to fruition. We started, we started working indoors under artificial lights and not moving. So when we have to move, that's where exercise came about. But my belief is, and this is kind of married within the field of arbor culture that I love so much, is we have to be outdoors. Right. So we have physical activity. And so for some people that can improve their VO2 max, for some people, physical activity, it's going to be physical activity for one person, it's going to be exercise for the next person. So that's a, I mean, that's a lengthy conversation in and of itself. Right. That's something we want to keep in mind is what's good for one is not good for all. Now, do we have the ability to improve productivity by improving our strength and improving our endurance? You know, yes, we do. However, I think that's a backdoor way of doing it. I think what's more important, and I mentioned this in the article that I wrote, is the terrain of the body. So is the body, it's unbelievable what the body can do without training when we support it. That's the difference. Right. So if the body is, is supported on the level of proper hydration, proper nutrition, so, you know, did it come from the earth or an animal that roams the earth? You know, is it a whole food or did man make it in a factory? The body's designed to run on whole foods. Right. And then taking it a step further, the body's designed to run on whole foods regionally based on where we're living. Right. So what somebody's eating down south and would grow naturally down there is going to be different than what somebody in the north, east, in the wintertime and what's up here. And so that's what sets the metabolic rate of our body. And if we're feeding our body citrus fruit in the middle of winter, you know, an arborist working in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine in the middle of winter eating oranges, when their metabolic rate is set at that time of year to be burning fat, they're not going to be efficient. We're putting the wrong fuel in. Right. And so we can falsely think that we're improving the system through exercise and a piece of that. I mean, we can improve a bit. Right. Nothing compared to you eat terrible food on one day and a week later eat a you know, great food with no training whatsoever. And you're probably hydrated one week and not the other week. And the productivity difference is unbelievable. So, um, so that's kind of how I feel about that. And really, I've, I've come to realize all of this, my research in the biochemistry of how the body really works and realizing that, you know, we've been thinking that exercise is a way, but really it's supporting the body. And when we support the body properly, the productivity, the ability to withstand, like, you know, somebody doing an Ironman who's an endomorph is possible, right. you know, but you got to support the body and that endomorph who is not really designed to do repetitive cardiovascular activity can do it once or twice and can train once or twice but they shouldn't be doing it they're actually going to stress their systems and the research shows that they die younger they die suddenly and the reason is they're asking their system to do something that's possible but it's not sustainable by the body right you um Oh no, no! I'm actually, um, I'm actually very interested. If uh, the two phrases that you've, uh, or the two words that you've been using is endomorph and and meso, uh, mesomorph. Am I saying that right? Um, so there are three body types. Uh, okay, yeah. Endomorph. Can can you explain? Can yeah. you explain those three body types and and how they're uh, labeled and 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 what that means? Yeah. 
So um, an endomorph is somebody who's a little bit more low tone. We might look at them and say that they're kind of puffy. They're a little overweight. Um, they typically are labeled as lazy. Um, they don't have high muscle tone. Even if they try to exercise, they're not going to build high muscle tone. And it's really genetically because of the um, the slow twitch to fast twitch fibers that they have in their body, and they're all the ability to metabolically support muscle. So that's an endomorph. So somebody who is not your typical athlete, and unfortunately, they're usually labeled as lazy. They don't tolerate exercise well. Okay. Um, that's an endomorph. And then a mesomorph is somebody who's, you know, just a natural muscular person without doing anything. Like they don't have to train for anything and they're, they're big and they're bulky um, and they have a lot of high muscle tone. They have more of that switch fibers and the slow twitch fibers. That's a mesomorph. They tend to be bigger in structure, not necessarily tall, but just, you know, wider stature, um, powerlifting type. Right. And then there's, then there's an ectomorph and the ectomorph is this skinny little perfect anatomical like they have muscle tone without trying but they have no excess fat on them they they tend to be our endurance athletes okay so ev- everybody is a combination of some of those okay so that's the way that we used to look at you know genetically who is designed for what type of exercise but right now we have information that goes even deeper into how does that person's body support energy production for exercise? How can they utilize their nutrients as a fuel? So, and that's the stuff that I do. I do functional genomics. Um, I'm a functional genomics counselor. So I look at people's genetics to determine what is their ideal diet, exercise routine, how does their body detoxify, that sort of thing. So looking specifically at genetics. And when it comes to SNPs, SNPs are really what make us unique and individual as humans. So we're all humans. But you might have a SNP that I don't have, and that's what makes us different. So I look at SNPs, which ultimately break down to how does the body make an enzyme via protein. And so it's that specific. So we used to have the general, my physical therapy knowledge gave me the general, endomorph, um, ecomorph, and mesomorph. And now I look at it at a much deeper level of, you know, what exercise should this person be doing, if any, and what's the fuel source that their body prefers to optimize function. And when we do that, they can climb a mountain one day, and the next day they can't get out of bed just by messing with their biochemistry and what we're putting in their body. So the human body is designed for um, sustainability through physical activity. If you think of our ancestors, they had to hunt. They had to, to, you know, move around to find their food. But they didn't typically move around often, doing repetitive, like they weren't doing ultra marathons all the time. Right. They, if anything, they were doing very slow movement, and there was the sense of community in the tribe, and everybody supported each other, and some people would go out on those long hunts and do endurance stuff, probably because, you know, they were more of the ectomorphs. And then you had the mesomorphs, which were the tougher, bigger ones, and then you had the, the endomorphs who probably stayed a little closer to home and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, really there's a lot of answers in our ancestors. <laughs> no, and, you know, it's 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 it truly is fascinating because, uh, y- you know, you can, you, can, you can sort of say, okay, uh, we're going to start by, you know, identifying at least 
at least on the surface, let's do this. Let's start by identifying what type of body type we have, being honest with ourselves and saying, okay, we can classify as endomorph or ectomorph or whatever combination thereof of the three different types of body type. But what it seems, it what it really seems to sort of come back to is the idea that really big, stressful days, especially if they're back to back, is seems to be a pretty dangerous thing. Uh, versus, uh, and and this is kind of where how critical scheduling is because you, I guess as a production arborist. That sort of almost seems to be uh, a magical tool that we don't think of is just arranging our schedule to allow our bodies to rest or to or to or to uh, be active in the way that they should be. So, in other words, like you know, doing six uh, huge crown cleans a day for four days in a row. Well, it's no wonder that you're not able to move for a week and a half after you do that because it's uh-huh. just. It's just your body is not meant to 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 uh, to do that kind of work, regardless of what type of, of body type you have. Uh, do you think that's me- there's merit in that? Yeah, no, well, most definitely. And I think that um, I think what would be interesting would be to classify the different type of work. Would this be more of an endurance? Is it going to tax my heart? Is it more of a strengthening type thing? Is it going to stress my muscles? Um, maybe to classify work in those ways as well. So, and so to start to look at, we don't want to be stressing the big, large muscle groups, you know, more than two or three days in a row maximum. Right, right. No, and, and that's, um, we, I sort of looked at it briefly, and I'm, and I'm trying to do a little more uh, data collection, uh, wearing a heart rate monitor in the field, and I'm just, I just kind of want to look at how my body, in other words, yesterday, um, and I'm not sure, I, I sent it along in an email, but what I did was I, I, uh, we had a, a, a crane job in the morning. Um, it was pretty straightforward, uh, you know, black, uh, black locust. We had to remove some tops out of the tree. Um, and so I put the heart rate monitor on, and uh, I was able to wear a GPS watch. And um, what we found, or what I, what I found after the job was that my heart rate... Um, it remained relatively steady uh, throughout the job, d- d- regardless of what I was doing. And what I found that was I was seeing um, some pretty big heart rate spikes when when you would imagine them to be, and, and especially during the during the the cuts that I was making, the technical cuts. So uh-huh. you see your heart rate spike. But then you see that recovery go back, and so th- that seemed to be a pretty good sign to me. But the the metrics, I don't really have anything to compare them to. So I'm I kind of want to gather some data um, on different jobs, whether it be pruning ornamentals or big cr- uh, crown cleaning or cabling and bracing. Because if you think about it, uh, crane work sometimes we're carrying really big, heavy saws. Uh, our, our, our hips are locked into p- to position where, and it seems that we're using, um, m- much like a rock climber where we're, we're holding these positions for long periods of time with heavy weight to make those cuts versus 
crown cleaning, you, you sort of need to tap into your flexibility a little bit more, maybe a little bit more of your aerobic system because there's much more movement required. Um, and so at the end of the day, that's, that's really what I want to look at is not just classifying, okay, this is the type of body type I have. This is, this is the type of exercise I need, but now all of a sudden, okay, what is the specific job that we're doing and how we know how our body is going to react to that job. How can we schedule it into our work week in order to optimize what, what, what we are physically? And that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm after. And, and I know there's fluctuation there and, and there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different variables that go into this, but it really, it truly is fascinating. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating to, to actually watch your body react to what you're doing uh-huh. um, and motivating all at the same time. Um, right. Well, another thing that we want to keep in mind too, when we start tracking things, people are motivated on a different level, and so that facilitates change in you know for paying attention to how we're moving and how our body's reacting. We're more likely to sleep better, to eat a little bit better. So it truly is multifaceted and so much movement and the exercise of what we're doing. Um, you know, the other thing with the heart rate that's really interesting, because John Ball and I looked at this um, several years back, like we're going back 2011, 12-ish, okay. um, presented at ISA on some of this stuff too. So we looked at what was happening to heart rates um, with people who are hydrated, with climbers that are hydrated versus not hydrated. And what we found was that um, the on average, most arborists, that were included in the study, which were all in um, South Dakota at the time. Okay. Midsummer, 80s, you know, arid, arid climate. Um, so what we found was they were functioning at a three-liter deficit hydration-wise, which was ultimately affecting their heart rate because it affects your blood pressure, and blood pressure and heart rate are inverse. So because they were dehydrated, blood pressure was lower, heart rate were was higher. When we hydrate somebody, it's going to change those peaks and valleys in the heart rate. So just anyways, just something to keep in mind right. that hydration can make all the difference in the world. Right. So again, I think that, you know, what you're looking at is amazing because it's going to make us start to think that, oh, I've got this big job coming up tomorrow. I need to make sure I'm hydrated today to prep for tomorrow. So I'm just, I'm, just adding to what you're talking about and saying, and, and I would caution you with using body types because right. it's very, very difficult to know, even as a professional doing this for 20 years, sometimes I'm not sure exactly by looking at somebody what their body type is until I really look at their genetics. Right, right. What happens is some people might might mislabel themselves, and then that can change everything. So I think what's important is to throw out there that we're all a little bit different. Right, right. And, you know, what I've been saying for years is really we don't need to train for the job. We need to support our body and let the job be our physical activity exercise. We know at baseline the human and nature. Whoa, that's something that you guys have all the time. You have the ability to engage in nature on a regular basis. That supports function. That limits disease processes. Like, we know that. We know that the body needs natural light to thrive because that's what ultimately sets our metabolic 
great. You guys are working outside under natural light. Like, whoa, that's huge. And then we know the body needs physical activity. And I don't care if an arborist is working out of a bucket or not. You guys are moving. Right. You know, and there's a, there's a perception from some arborists that, oh, well, you know, we were much more physical 10, 15 years ago, and now that everything has become mechanical, we need to exercise. We need to want to CrossFit and exercise on our own because we're not as active on the job. Well, if you're taking the opportunity to, you know, walk across the job site at a little bit faster of a pace um, and to really look at the way that I'm going in this tree and the looking at it as physical activity and movement, there's plenty of opportunity for physical activity. And I think what would be interesting is also looking at heart rates of somebody who's working out of a bucket, what's happening to them. Right. And a piece of heart rate is the amount of stress that's placed on the body um, and the mind as well. So if you take a young, new arborist who has more fear than the slightly overweight, experienced guy who's been in the fields for 25 years, that overweight guy who does the job once a week or whatever is actually going to have more heart rate stability than that new guy who has been doing CrossFit and is in amazing shape. Right. Because that new guy is going to have greater fear, and fear drives heart rate and heart, you know, in a second. So, and then that heart rate can be affected by so many different things um, and that we have going on in our environment as far as stress, but then also Wi-Fi and wireless and things like that can affect our heart rate. So again, just kind of giving you more variables to look at so that you keep what you're looking at a little bit more general. Right. Um, Because I think it's awesome. I think it's absolutely awesome. I think that every arborist, uh, you, you have a job, absolutely, but the nature of your job alone makes you healthier than the general population, and I've observed this time and time and time again. Lyme disease is taking over the world, really, but arborists do not get critically ill and sick with Lyme disease the way that we see the general population getting critically ill and sick with Lyme disease, and why is that? My belief is you guys have better terrain, and I think the one thing we really need to work on is what you're putting into the body as a fuel source, more importantly than anything else, because you have so many of the non-negotiables of health going on for you already. Right. And I think that's why, too, we take an arborist out of the field, and they're a totally different person. You know, we put them into sales, they're a totally different person, and they become very unhealthy. Right. And a piece of that is they're maintaining health just by being in the field, you know. So it's not the stress of a salesperson that's making them unhealthy. It's the fact that they're inside more often, they're sitting more often, they're engaging in computer and Wi-Fi more often. And the production arborist is engaging in very appropriate stress responses and in a world where everybody is depressed and over-anxious, talk about being mindful and present. Like, you have to be mindful and present when you're doing that job in the tree right. because it's such dangerous work. So it's a form of meditation. Right. Like, you have to maintain that presence. There's no way you can be stressing about something at home and, you know, being up doing a critical removal. Like, you are present in the moment, but who's looking at that as meditation? And that's another thing that's adding to health. And even we take that guy who's working out of the bucket. He still has to be mindful and present with what he's doing, which actually is healthier for the human body. We're finding that meditation, Tai Chi, yoga, gets people much further as far as improving their um, physical well-being than doing repetitive exercise, which is oxidative stress and keeping those negative 
right? So anyway, I know I'm throwing a lot. No, at no, I no. To think about. I I think it's uh I I really think it's fascinating because uh this this stuff I I just think it really applies to so many different things uh that that we talk about in the industry and you know it's it's funny because of all the you know of all the training seminars that I've sat in that talk about uh whatever dynamic rigging or chainsaw safety or mm-hmm. uh aerial rescue um you know, you never hear anyone uh, relate that kind of stuff to meditation or to mindfulness or whatever. And I and I guess there is, uh, you know, some uh, some indication that yes, you know, we have to be focused, we have to be present. Um, but it's really interesting to hear you uh, uh, talk about it in the light of meditation because. You know, so many times, uh, you know, being up in the tree or doing a job uh, that requires a lot of um, uh, mental focus, you know, you start at 8 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden you look at your, your watch and it's 1.30 in the afternoon and you say, wow, I can't believe how fast this is going, but you're so, you're so submerged into the processes on a mental level. Um uh-huh. And, and again, I, and I think that that also uh, plays into the fact of, uh, you know, just taking pride in your work and being proud of a job and getting those, all that good, uh, those good mental feelings of feelings of accomplishment and, and stuff like that. I truly think that this all affects the overall well-being of the, of the arborist and, and, and to, to have a healthy mind and to have a healthy body, um, and it's it's really fascinating, and uh, and again, I know we have had this conversation before, uh, but sort of in a different light. And I think that it's just one of those things that you can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it because I truly feel that we're constantly able to look at it in a new light, or or see things in a different way, or see a different detail, and uh, and how it can help us uh, in the field is just, uh, it's just really amazing to me. And, uh, you as a resource and, and all your wealth of information, um, you, you know, you just bring a whole new level to this, uh, being, uh, a respected source in the arboriculture community and, and how closely you've worked with arborists. And, you know, you talked about your work with John Ball, Dr. Ball is another, uh, another, I think he, he, you know, maybe five or six years ago was probably the first time that I had heard him speak, um, about fitness and, and, and how, when we have our hands over our heads, when we're ascending, our heart rate goes up. And he was sort of the first person that, that I said, wow, I can't, I, I never really thought about this stuff as in, in the physical fitness light. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of been like a bug ever since that I've 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 really uh, truly been inspired by by those things and and I think a lot of arborists can just benefit from this stuff because it adds a new level a new level of satisfaction and pride to what we do, taking care of our bodies and and getting healthier and getting better overall because I think at the end of the day that's really the goal. How can we get a little bit better? You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, everybody, you know, wants, 
when we, when we work towards something and we feel like we're accomplishing something, whether it's fitness or, like you said, that beautiful pruning job or whatever it is, we feel good about that. So, um, yeah, Dr. Ball and I did a lot of work together and really started to come out with the industrial athletic work back in about 2012. We presented together at ISA in 2012, so it happened just before that. And then we presented together in 13 as well, um, looking at the research with heart rate and we were looking at different ascent techniques and looking at heart rate um, we actually had a conversation but never tested this um, looking at moisture wicking clothing whether or not we should be utilizing moisture wicking clothing because it was facilitating dehydration the body cools itself through evaporation and then the moisture wicking clothing is evaporating is removing that water off the surface of the skin and then ultimately the body has to cool itself so it produces more sweat and it facilitates dehydration. So we had a conversation around that but never did get around to testing that. Wow. Um, but we still kind of utilize that. So the two of us um, did a lot of work together, 2010, 11, 12, 13-ish. And then, um, you know, we still use each other as a resource, but he's super, super busy and has his hands in so many different things right. that it's very hard to do research and very hard to do work with him. But he does have the ability to test. Um, you know, one of my visions for the industry and being so closely, so I've written a lot of articles for ISA, um, the past couple, uh, and I just recently wrote one for TCIA about the mental and physical stresses associated with arboriculture. That's coming out in January. Okay. So, um, you might want to look back at some of this stuff, but, um, in all of my presentations that I've been doing and all the, but I do a lot of private work with small tree care companies and large um, tree care companies, and then through North American Training Solutions, I do a lot of work and work with all of our trainers. But one of my visions is for so many years, when I got involved in this industry back in 2006, everything was looking about breaking the body down, breaking the body down. How long can we do this? It's all about breaking the body down. It was all the physical. We were really focused. The industry was very focused on the negative aspects of the industry and being so physically taxing that it's not good for your body. And my goal and my vision is to, to turn that around and start looking at what does the industry, by being a production arborist, what does that do for me and my health, number one? Like, because there's way more positives than negatives. And the reason people break down is because they're putting shit into the body. They're putting the wrong fuel. What will happen to your equipment if you put water? soda in the gas tank. Right. You know, it's not going to run for you. So it's not that the work is debilitating. We've got to put the right fuel in. So I, so my vision is to change that mindset in the industry, and I think we're getting there. You know, I mean, I feel like we're getting there because everything I teach is around that. So every single program, um, every single lecture that I'm doing is a change of that. And even working with all industrial athletes, I work with construction workers and DOT, right. and looking at what are the benefits of the job. But specifically, the reason that I really believe in your industry is I know, I know just as being a human being and deep in my heart, but then I also know, based on my research, that we need nature and we need trees to have our health. Right. So I would love to see the industry change to, like, this is an amazing industry to be in. Look at everything that it can do for you. Look at how healthy it is. It's not a blue-collar, you know, job, just a trade job. Whereas, you know, as a, as a nation or as a world, we look at these people who wear these, these suits to work and sit in the cubicle as being somebody better. No way. Right. Like that arborist who's a production arborist is way healthier and a way better person. They have a way, have a much better heart because they're engaging in more mindfulness and meditation, whether they know it or not. So I would love to see the industry. We need more people coming into this industry. Right. So if we really start to focus on the positive benefits of what this industry does for me personally, 
And then also what it does for the world's health. You know, talk about meaningful work. Every single day, if we love the job that we're doing and we feel like we're doing meaningful work, then that's going to feed our health as well. So that's my vision. Oh, that's to... that's phenomenal. I mean, honestly, that that is a, such a great take on that, on, on arbor culture. I mean, truly, it's... It's just from a from a well-rounded uh, perspective, mental, physical health, and just uh, you know uh, companies with great culture h- harnessing this uh, every day uh, to to feel better about what you're doing, to feel better about yourself. Like you said, arbor culture is um, sort of an apex uh, trade to be in if if that's what you're looking for. Truly amazing. Mm-hmm. Truly amazing yeah, insight. No, it, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, so I was, So that's my vision is to start like I don't know, some non-for-profit or organization where we're getting into the high schools and making these children realize that um, you know conservation and arboriculture and forestry is really where the future is at. Like, talk about meaningful work if we want to save this planet and if we want to save our health. You know, we're because of where healthcare is right now and all the chronic disease. We need to restore the homeostasis in the body. We've got to get back to nature. We've got to get back to everything that we've lost. And to me, an arborist is the closest to our ancestors as far as doing primal movements, working outside. The only thing that has to change is what they're being exposed to on the inside um, and the food they're putting in the body. Everything else you got going for you, right. you know? So, so that's the message that I'm trying to get out there is that, like, let's not look at the negative aspects because it doesn't have to be negative. It's only negative if we're putting bad fuel in the body. The rest of it's positive. So, and it's, uh, again, it's unbelievable what the body can handle as long as we fuel it correctly and allow for the recovery. And I think that's what you're getting at as far as the planning right. that you're talking about is we've got to allow for the recovery um, of people. So, you know, I'm cautious at how I share what people should doing or what's ideal and really trying to keep it in a positive light right. because that's why I don't want people self-judging of like, well, I'm an endomorph. I can't be doing that. Like, no way. Right. What can the body do? Right. So that's why I'm cautious about labels. Right. Right. Is, um, you know, not wanting people to look at, oh, well, he's better than me because he's an endomorph or a mesmorph and he can handle it. And, but just looking at the job and, and looking at the human body, the human body needs rest. So the human body needs optimal fuel and needs rest, really. And then also that mindfulness. You know, I've, I've always said that that person, the person who's dealing with a lot of stress at home is somebody who's at increased risk for an injury. You know, so somebody who has a lot going on at home, um, a sick family member, you know, a wife who's not happy on the verge of divorce, blah, blah, blah. We've always looked at that person as because they have so much stress going on, um, you know, their increased risk of injury and let's give them, let's give them tasks that would reduce the risk of injury. But I wonder if we give that person a task of climbing that tree where they have to be present, if it's actually going to improve <laughs> their mental state because they're going to essentially be meditating for right. the two or four hours that they're doing that job instead of being on the ground where they don't have to be as present and they can be stuck in their mind a little bit longer right. and then now they're at increased risk of a chipper accident. Like, whoa. So these are some of the questions I'm starting and I'm just pondering. I'm just sure. I don't know. Sure. Because my job is just to make people think, you know, and right. the belief, the belief system that we grab onto becomes our own individual truth. And so I just want to be cautious with the belief system 
that I put out there that somebody could grab onto and cautious with how I share information and making sure there's no negative belief system for somebody to grab onto. So, no, that's uh, honestly, um, I mean, that was that was so insightful, and uh, just as far as direction. Uh, for for where I'm going with this, I mean, I I can't thank you enough for your time uh, and for your knowledge on this kind of stuff. I know how valuable your time is, and when you are able to sit down with me and talk about this kind of stuff, I truly cannot thank you enough because I am so grateful. I know so many arborists out there are going to listen to this information, and I I truly believe that it changes people. I think that it gives them more motivation, more inspiration to mm-hmm. enjoy mm-hmm. their life and enjoy their mm-hmm. work as an arborist. And then it's not only mm-hmm. just going to affect them, it's going to affect everyone they work with. It's going to affect their family. It's going to affect their friends. And so this, mm-hmm. when you talk about meaningful work, and this can be anything, not, but, uh, you know, obviously I'm using it in the context of arboriculture. Um, because right, that's right. sort of the content that, that we develop, but this stuff bridges so many different things. Um, and again, I just, uh, you know, I just really want to thank you for your time this morning for sitting down and talking with me about this so that I can get it out there, um, to the community at large. I'm, I'm just so very grateful to you. Oh, well, thank you. You're very welcome. Well, I appreciate you getting it out there. Yeah, you no. know, I'm, I'm, doing my part but it's only that one small little part and I'm not reaching everybody so you're reaching a different crowd that that I'm reaching so together we can bring it around and you're absolutely right you know every single one person that reads something that inspires them or facilitates positive change within them it radiates you know emotions are contagious and there's mirror neurons in our brain if we're around a negative person we're going to feel more negative if we're around a positive person we're going to feel more positive so just by shifting somebody's perspective on the work that they're doing through an article that you write or one of your podcasts or whatever, you have the ability to change their interaction with their family, and it just gets out through the ripple effect. The research shows every one person that changes affects 6,000 lives. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow, like, that's that so cool. Yeah. That to- totally blew my mind. And, you know, I used to feel sometimes when I was talking to a small group of people like it didn't matter. And then I started to look at stuff like, no way, because if I'm talking to three people, that's 18,000 people. Right. That over a lifetime. And so when we start to look at things that way, and the world needs more positivity, the world needs more love, the world needs more support. We're such a negative nation. If we can just shift the information that we're sharing with people to shift their perspective, it changes everything. No, you, so no, that's. I love what you're doing. No, I love what you're doing too. And, and, and again, like I said, I'm. Uh, I'm, I find myself totally inspired um, and, and just Good. in a new light. And, and this conversation has, has really got the ball rolling for me, and it's given me some direction. So, so like I said, I, 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 I can't thank you enough. I'm going to uh, get this oh, stuff edited welcome. and get it up uh, you know, onto the website and, and also uh, start taking some notes and, and forming, this, forming this article up. And, and uh, again, yeah, like I said awesome. – you know, Dr. Carpenter, thank you so much for your time, um, for taking the time to talk with me this morning. And uh, I hope that in the future, if uh, I have any questions or any other ideas that we can that we can uh, continue to work together and to have this conversation together. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And send me what you write, you know, so that I can share it with the community that I'm in as well. Absolutely. Um, and then, actually, you were in that, um, the article that I wrote for TCI, you had responded to the questions. And so that's coming out, and it's supposed to be out in the January issue. That's beautiful. I'm going to look forward to that, and and when I do, yeah. I'll be certain to uh, I'll be certain to share it uh, in all of my circles, uh, because I know that I know how much everyone admires your work, uh, and your uh, and you as a resource for for all arborists uh, everywhere out there in the world. So again, thank you well, so thank much. Thank you, and thank you for what you're doing. So keep sharing, and you're doing you're you're doing awesome. You're you're getting to um, people that I'm not getting to, and it's, it's more than one person. It's, you know, together we're all a community, and if we can really just shift the world through what arboriculture is doing, the more and more I learn about trees, the more I realize tree people are such awesome, great-hearted people because they're engaging in the trees all the time. Have you read the book, The Secret Life of Trees? I have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I have. Oh, I love, like, look at the parallels between trees and humans. No. Like, just... To, yeah, it, it's it's and it, and it really uh, for me the whole thing is community, the support it's of the community. community. You know, trees do it. I, I mean, a lot of things in nature are so connected. And if I can just leave you with one thing, um, if you read the secret, if you read the secret life of trees and you like that book, I I'd like to I'd like to refer a book to you. I I mean it. It really changed the way that I think about everything. You have to, have to, have to check out the book. It's called The Forest Unseen by David George Haskell. He's a, a, a professor of biology um, at a small uh, university down in Tennessee. I think he still teaches there. Um, but he took, uh, he looked at a one meter by one meter square in the forest over an entire year. And he sort of tells the story of all of the interconnectedness of nature by looking at this one tiny thing and and he sort of he sort of magnifies the world in the details that he's looking at and and it's and again it go, it ties into this whole idea of interconnectedness and community and how everything really affects everything like you said one positive you know talking to three people in a positive light could affect many thousands of people and it's sort of that it's sort of that same theme going on there um and it's just again it's i think it's really inspirational because i think that everyone at the end of the day wants to do something meaningful or hear something yeah. meaningful or see something Absolutely. meaningful and um and again check that out uh and and uh What's his last name the forest unseen by uh, the, david david george haskell it's h a s k e l l he actually, uh, the book was a, the book was nominated as a runner-up for the Pulitzer Prize. So it's not only is it has great information in it, but it's also um, high, very, very highly esteemed from a literary point of view. So it's uh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. I, I haven't heard of that, so thank you, Brian. I love that. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Um, and again, I just want to thank you again for your time. You're and, um, very welcome. And like thank I said, you for what you're doing as well. Oh no, please, please, uh, and uh, and I will be in touch with you, and uh, I'm gonna uh, update you on uh, the progress of all these different projects. Awesome. Well, keep going. You're doing great work. So are you. Thank you so much, Dr. Carpenter. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Have Bye. a great day. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Arb Life Podcast. 
Please follow along at the website, www.thearblife.com. Sign up for an email subscription to get all the latest updates of interviews and blog posts. This edition of the Arb Life podcast was brought to you from the passionate pursuit to find inspiration one tree at a time.